0: should be handing out a handout for you and uh, I won't be able to get through all of this, uh, but uh, I'm, I didn't intend to. There's some of it you can take home and read for yourself. Uh, but I'm kind of uh, trying to figure out what direction we should go and uh, we're we're going to look at things, a little series called "Things in Dispute," uh, for a while, and and then we'll uh, get more firmed up what what's going to happen over the next couple of months. Um, it looks like we're on uh, life support around here today. Uh, sometimes. Uh, There's some sickness going around. Some people are saying they wish they had the COVID instead of this sickness, I think. But uh, I want to look this morning, uh, begin in the book of Genesis. And we're going to be teaching uh, some things that, uh, in the next couple of weeks, some things that are um, in dispute, that people have different opinions about that, and particularly, of course, in relationship to the spiritual things. And we're going to start this morning on this uh, understanding about the Word of God. Is is there really anything different uh, from in this and than the Koran, or this and the writings of? of uh, Hindu religions. What makes this book where people who are spiritual have some spiritualness to them, spirituality, what makes their writings uh, inferior to the Bible? Or what makes the Bible? Why do we think the Bible is superior to all other uh, religious writings? And so, it's a, it's a matter that is disputed. Of course, the United States has been known uh, as a Christian nation. It was founded on Christian principles. It is anything but a, a Christian nation today. It's really an agnostic nation. But there's vast populations of the world who have never read the Bible, Don't see any need for reading the Bible see the Bible is just another religious book written by men and uh, and So we're going to look at why uh, some some things that would encourage us to see that there's something supernatural about uh, the Bible Uh, I want to begin in chapter two of Genesis and verse sixteen. Genesis two, sixteen. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Thou shalt not eat of it, for the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord said, No, I want you to note here particularly that it was after the Lord said <coughs> concerning the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was after that that Eve was created. And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help met for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Now when we get over to chapter 3, we have, uh, we have something that's very instructive for us in relationship to questioning. You know, in relationship to questioning, God's word is uh, is the Bible really God's message, the Creator's message? And we have some uh, things taking place here in chapter three that should uh, make us wise unto the working of Satan and the world concerning God's Word. And we find here in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. It's a question mark. And I, I I pointed out to you that Adam was first created, then this promise, this this restriction about eating of the tree was given, and then Eve was created, to just um, show you here that that Satan didn't come up to Adam and say, "Yay, did God say this?" Because Adam said, "Are you stupid or something?" I was there. He spoke directly to me. He couldn't question what had been spoken directly to him, but Eve hadn't been there. So he approaches through Eve. And he says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And then as you see the as we go down through there, first of all, in relationship to God's word, people question it. Does that really mean that? Is there really a hell? Is it really a heaven? Is, there, is the wages of sin really death? That, that is, that's your opinion. Well, I don't really see it that way. Well, we've, we have this continuing on from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden down to this very day, a questioning of God. Secondly, you'll see that the Word of God is subtracted from He says here, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Uh, When when God uh, said in chapter 2, He says, uh, In in the Lord God, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. When Eve spoke about that, she said, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What God said, He said, He said, He said, every except for the one. When Eve, When Eve responded, she said that we may eat of the trees of the garden. It's a subtle subtraction. It's a a subtle changing of the word of God. But it's important to realize that the same takes place today. The people will add to and subtract from. And then you see, as we see here, it was added to in verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. And so we have God's word being added to. There's no place in chapter 2 where it says, neither shall you touch it. Eve added to that. Perhaps Adam helped her in that. Maybe Adam said, don't eat of those trees. Don't even go over there and touch it. Stay away from it. Uh, we don't find that record in the Bible, but we find what we do find is the God's word being added to, and it's still being added to today. People will, people will will add to the word of God, and and uh, trying to water it down, and then there's an it's uh, it's it's softened. It says here. Uh, And in verse 3 again of chapter 3, "...but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die." Well, let's go and look again what God said. He said in verse 17, "...but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die." There's a there's a vast difference between uh, lest you die, and surely. In fact, this uh, word lest is it's it's, tr- it's used four times in the Hebrew part of our Bible, and, uh, and one uh, two of the times out of the four times is translated per. Adventure. Which means perhaps, when she quotes, when she when she makes this statement here in verse three, "Ye shall not eat of it; neither shall you touch it, lest you die." She was saying, "Perhaps you die." It's a it's a it's a it's a softening of God's word. That well, it could be that way. It might be this way. It's kind of it's kind of you know. Well, it's open for interpretation. Well. Uh, the, the straight of it is God's word was very clear and he, and he said here, ye shall surely die. And so that, that continues on. And then the fifth point on the next page, you'll see that he blatantly denies uh, the word of God. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. The crack had been open when she lest you die, and then Satan just gets in there and reemphasizes that, and he just clearly denies the word of God. Uh, Ye shall not surely die. It's it's a it's a denial of God's word. That constantly, the word of God, even in the garden, the the spoken word of God that became the written word of God when all this conversation is recorded. It's it's a, it's questioned, and then the word of God is blasphemed in verse five. For God doth know that the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He's uh, he's he's uh, casting doubt a bad light upon the, uh, the goodness of God. The reason God is doing this is that He doesn't want you to be like Him, that God is suppressing that. You know, these rules, these Ten Commandments, you know, that, that's in the Bible, you guys, don't, you're just trying to keep us from having fun. You're, you're just trying to suppress us. And Satan, in this actually... In saying this, uh, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. It's blaspheming God's word. It's casting uh, doubt upon who God is and God's goodness. And that's constantly uh, done uh, today uh, on casting doubt upon God's goodness. And so... uh, as we've listed there, God's word is blasphemed, and God's word continues to be blasphemed, meaning given in a uh, in a, a negative light. I think it's also important, in, uh, in this one point, is that that actually uh, actually Satan uh, he Satan told the truth. He told the truth. He said, "For God to know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, little g gods, knowing good and evil." Before this time, the Adam and Eve lived in a state of innocence. There was no good and evil. Uh, Satan was present and he was evil but he had not yet influenced Adam and Eve. And when he said here when he said here that when you if you eat this fruit you'll be able to know good and evil your eyes shall be open. And actually as I said he told the truth But their their eyes were open. They knew good. And they knew evil. But they couldn't do the good. And they couldn't escape the evil. It wasn't to know good in a positive way. But it was to know good in that (laughs) I'm not accomplishing good. And so, although a true statement... It wasn't the way that he, Satan was trying to picture it, that, you know, you're going to be like God, you're going to be good, you're going to be bad, you're going to be able to make your own decisions, and, uh, and it really blasphemed the Lord. And then the final thing there is that uh, they just ignored God's Word. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, desired to be made one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Uh, I don't know. I've always said, I, I don't know. I know people make very definitive statements here, but uh, I don't know if Adam was with her until after she ate. I personally don't think he, he, he was. Uh, but nevertheless, Adam, the uh, fall of mankind is not placed at Eve's feet. It is placed at Adam's feet. And he did eat of the fruit knowingly. He knew what God said. His rebellion was the greater rebellion. He knew exactly what God had said. And so I'm simply giving you all that to say that over the centuries since Adam and Eve were created, the the tactics of Satan haven't changed much. And the questioning concerning God's word uh, continues on. And i give a little illustration here that we go to a doctor and we have a disease that is killing us. And the doctor said, there's, there's great hope here. I have, I have the exact remedy. I have some exact medicine. I have exact pills for your cure. And he sets before us seven identical bottles of blue pills. And he says that one of these bottles has the cure for your disease. And all other, the other six bottles are poison. And you say, well, which one should I take? And he says, whatever you want, good luck. Well, that would be barbaric. It would be horrible. It would be unforgivable. It'd be unthinkable that a doctor who has taken a hypocritic oath to, to uh, help people would do such a thing. What would we think of such a doctor? Well, he'd be a monster. But mankind has inherited, if you want to put it that way, uh, the sinful, fallen nature. That by one man sin in the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all men. And uh, there is a formula uh, for sin, there is a remedy. Acts 4.12, Neither is salvation any other, for there is none other name given among men, whereby we must be saved. The God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and whosoever in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so to set on the table the writings of Islam, the writings of Hinduism, the writings of the Far Eastern religion, and say, You know, take your pick, whatever you want. And as I say at the bottom, everything else, every other religious writing, but for the Bible, it's poison. It'll claim your soul for an eternity in hell's fires. It's poison. And so, we would expect that God would make it very plain that uh, His Word is truth. Sanctify them through thy Word. Thy Word is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There's only one writing in our world, in our universe. There's only one writing that's God's Word from the very Creator Himself. The God being who God is and man being who man is. God wanted to have an instrument through which He could communicate to mankind personally, and that's the Bible. We need to we need to gain a great appreciation for what it is, and understand that there's a great attack upon it, and that it is that it is disputed today whether the Bible is real or not. and And one of the and one of the first areas of dis one of the not only one of the main first areas of dispute that's given is uh, the question is <clears throat> uh, how should I put this? Is the Bible God's Word. Well, that's a big debate. Some will say, some of us inspired how do I know what's inspired? Well, it's what speaks to me. If it speaks to me and it doesn't rub me the wrong way, then God must have wrote that. It's inspired. But then when it speaks to me and it stomps on my toes, oh, God couldn't have meant that. And so this question about inspiration, God breathes. Is the Bible inspired? Look with me over in uh, Second Peter. 2 Peter, chapter 1, and verse 21. Well, first of all, look, 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 look at verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy foretelling not all prophecy is uh, predictive, but some t- prophecy just means words of God. No prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And so it says that uh, it must go beyond. You see, this very popular thing today for a group of, quote, Christians to get together and they'll read a Bible... They'll read a verse of the Bible, and they'll go around the circle. they always got their little kumbaya circle. And they'll say, what do you think of that verse? Well, I think this, this, this. Well, what do you think of this verse? Well, I think it's saying this, this, this. What do you think of this? Well, it speaks to me this way. I don't really understand it that way, but it speaks to me this way. But you know what it says here? It says no scriptures of any private interpretation. It's got to be based upon more than what you think line upon line, precept upon precept. And then he says here, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, that, that the Bible was not brought about by, God, by, by man's will, I took a little course, I didn't finish it. It There's a course online by a Christian group. I don't know how uh, sound they were, but they had this course on studying the Quran. And it's very obvious in the Quran that Muhammad wrote (laughs) what he wanted to write. And he and sometimes he would contradict in one place of the Quran exactly what he had written in another place, the Quran, And the uh, mullahs have been very creative in explaining all that. But, but uh, he says here in this verse, For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, that God impressed upon a man to write something, and uh, he said... Uh, well, I don't really want to write that. No man's will on what was recorded that is, that is God's word is not playing a factor. you understand that? People look at the Bible as a book written by men that uh, involved... Their own will. And the Bible claims for itself that that didn't happen. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved mean it was borne along. They were carried along. They were moved along the stream that the Holy Spirit wanted them to follow. And uh, I've mentioned here in the notes that this word is used and translated driven in Acts 27 when Paul talks about being in the shipwreck and and how they had to throw off all the cargo on the ship because it was about to sink and even throughout the heavy tackling and that they were driven by the wind. An outside force pushing and moving uh, them along. And so you say, well... Uh, let me get a, another. Well, you say, well, you know, if man paid no part in it, if man's, why, why are, are why is Moses' writings And the words that we see Moses using, why are they different than what um, is written in the book of Acts by, uh, who wrote Acts? Luke. Uh, Luke, who was a physician, and he uses some terms uh, that were doctor terms. Why don't we see mankind creeping out? And, and uh, if... Um, is there any... Do you see a difference between uh, those... Two names, my name Jean, and one in cursive and one in part cursive. Is there a difference? One's blue and one's black. Nevertheless, uh, I wrote it. And so, maybe a kind of a crude illustration, but God used men. To write what he wanted to have written, but he didn't cancel out their individuality or their personality. When David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, he leadeth me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. Let me just tell you that David was very much personally involved in that Psalms 23. David was a shepherd he understood it completely but god was using his background to still to to record his word as though it was he was a, he was the pinman but the very thoughts were god's thoughts and god's words but they didn't it wasn't mechanical He was was involved in it. His heart was involved in it. And uh, the the pen and the hand were uniquely tied together. But it was God's words. And so uh, I list a number of things here in the center of this page 4. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There again, a, a verse that goes along with 2 Peter about inspiration. For the prophecy came not in old time, by the will of man. Here again we uh, use our verse 2 Peter. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In 2 Samuel, the Bible the man who wrote 2 Samuel. The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. The Scripture which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake. And over 3,800 times we have Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the Lord. And so this book claims for itself divine inspiration. And we're going to go on and see, not only does it claim divine inspiration, but it takes with it, it has upon it a supernaturalness. And one of the first things that we'll look at here in in it being supernatural is that it's a book that's indestructible. Uh, From the very beginning, we saw how Satan tried to influence Eve, directly contradicted God's word, an attack upon God's word, is real. But it's, it's indestructible. It's still here. In the year 2021, we have in our hymn book a song that says, The Bible stands, though the hills may crumble. Uh, the Bible stands. The Bible's still here. The first example I give you The Roman Emperor Diocletian, who was just a century after, a century or two after um, Christ, he decreed that every Bible should be destroyed. He had been told that he could destroy the Bible, he would destroy Christianity, because Christians are a people of the book. What a great... What a great testimony of Christians, huh? That they're people of the book. I believe this because it says right here. Aren't you glad that we have a standard that never changes? Feeling he had succeeded, Diocletian raised a column with the inscription Extincto nomini, Christian Norm, the name of Christian is extinguished. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He, he made this column, he put that name on there, and he says the name of Christians is extinguished, except it's still on his column. It Constantine, who succeeded him in the year 312, replaced the pagan symbols with the symbol of the cross, And this remarkable change took place in less than 10 years. And so Diocletian said he won, and by the time Constantine comes, Christianity's symbols are evident in society. A man by the name of Voltaire, who lived in the 1700s, an atheist, said... One hundred years from my day, there will not be a Bible in the earth except one that, an, 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 an Aquarian, that is an antique guy, a curiosity seeker. Twenty years after the death of Voltaire, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his house where he lived for printing The Bible. It later became the, the headquarters in Paris for the British Foreign Bible Society, which stored and distributed Bibles throughout Europe. And so Voltaire says, after a hundred years after I died, the Bible won't even exist anymore, but less than a hundred years, they were printing it in his house that he lived in. Well, it's a testimony of the indestructibility of the Bible, the grass wither and the flower fadeth, but the word of God stands forever. Another, another uh, thing uh, that shows us the credibility of the Bible, it's, it's uniqueness in its accuracy of prophecy. There have been many uh, Edgar Cayce, uh, Nostradamus, uh, there's been many who have predicted the future. And uh, and there's been some that's given them credibility. But it's uh, shallow. Their prophecies were like this. I predict, and I'm going to become a prophet here, I predict there are at least 10 earthquakes in Alaska in 2022. Write it down. Well, sometimes there's 10 earthquakes in Alaska in one day. And so the the, uh, prophecies were very uh, general. But the prophecies of the Bible are very specific. That Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. A number of different things. And we point out these prophecies concerning Christ's first coming. That he's going to be born of a virgin. Fulfilled in Matthew. Predicted in Micah. That the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and fulfilled in Luke. That the Messiah would be preceded in his ministry by a forerunner that was in likeness to Isaiah and John the Baptist came. Zechariah talks about him coming on the foal of an ass the triumphal entry, Zechariah talks about how that he would be pierced, that he would cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, many of those are fulfilled, I mean, are, are predicted in uh, Psalms 22. If you flip the page, uh, other prophecies that concerning the crucifixion that there would be darkness. This is all mostly from Psalm 22. That they would mock Jesus. That his hands and feet would be pierced. A statement that, when it was written in Psalms 22, wasn't. It was. It was non nonsensical. Piercing of the hands and feet. But it was after this time period that, uh, I think it was Syria, uh, one of the Eastern uh, monarchies. Uh, They improved on crucifixion as a capital punishment and the Romans took it up. His hands and feet pierced, casting lots for his vesture, Uh, his unbroken bones, given vinegar, buried in a rich man's grave. And uh, many, many others Uh, you can read about uh, the destruction, the prophecy concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, Many use the the, uh, The prophecy that uh, Tyre was going to be leveled flat, and how that over over a a number of centuries all that took place. Uh, Alexander the Great playing a part of that. I want you to uh, go uh, to the middle of uh, of uh, page seven in the darker print. we'll, We'll read, but. Uh, this scientist who was a mathematician took I believe it was uh, seven uh, prophecies. Let's see how many did you take. He took uh, ten prophecies, I guess, and uh, From concerning Jesus Christ, and calculated what what uh, what do you say proportion what what uh, possibility that all of these that just ten prophecies concerning Christ could be fulfilled by chance. And he uses this illustration. I might change it a little bit here because I'm biased. If you mark one ticket, one of the tickets, well, let's go back up two paragraphs. Let's see. After examining only eight different prophecies, there's the number I was looking for, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies as one in 10 to the 17th power. Stoner gives this illustration. If you mark one of one of the tickets and place all the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face, I can't say that word, face of Alaska. And they'll cover all the state one feet deep because it can't be two feet deep because Alaska is twice the size of Texas. Are we all together? Do we have an amen anybody? (laughs) Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly over all the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar, and that has to be the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true, if any one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote them in their own wisdom." And so, uh, it's a a remarkable book. It's unique in its scientific accuracy. Uh, We'll just speed through these. Uh, The Bible talks about, you know, even scientists say it was a big bang, and all this came from nothing. Is this a big bang? Well, uh, Hebrews tells us that the things which were not many things that do appear, that... It was created out of nothing, ex nihilo. that God created something out of nothing. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He maketh lightnings for the rain. The the cyclic nature of our of our uh, water system of, of of hydrological water raining going through the ocean. He that setteth on the circle of the earth. Susie was telling me the other day that uh, <laughs> that uh, some former members of our church have embraced the flat earth, flat earth, uh, I don't know what that's all about, i have to look into it maybe, but there's people still today who are supposed to have all their faculties about them, <laughs> that believe there's a flat earth. Well, uh... The Bible says, he that sitteth on the circle of the earth. And there's, a, there's enough indication there that that is talking about not just a flat circle, but it's spherical. The earth turns on its axe, on its seal. The earth is suspended in space. It's not on the back of, a, of an elephant. Tides vary in the late evening and in the mornings. Many, many of these things from the book of Job's the stars can't be numbered. You'll find that in in uh, Jeremiah thirty three twenty two. That the atmosphere has weight to make the weight for the winds. That actually air weighs something. Stars travel in a certain path. That actually not every star uh, revolves around the sun. And actually, even in our own solar system, there are rogue stars that that go across the solar system and not revolving uh, evol- revolving around the sun uh, the blood sustains life and we have a, a whole little article on the next page about how that uh, in George Washington's time we had a sore throat like pastor and and uh, we can maybe drain some blood from pastor today if it doesn't work we'll drain some more tonight and if it doesn't work we'll take some more in the morning and then we'll have a rare funeral here at our church. <laughs> well, that's what happened. They took his blood, took his blood, took his blood, and it killed him. And now we know, hey, you wanna to try to keep that blood in you. And back then, they took it. Stars different multitude, and there's a number of things you can read there. You can read about Maori, Matthew Mowry, who in the 1800s, read the Bible, how there's paths in the sea. He begins to study that. He, f- he found the Humboldt Current. He found the Japanese Current. And he found that actually in the ocean that there are currents. And it cut down shipping rate when they were still sailing ships. And uh, he just took the Bible for what it, what it said. And... Uh, You can read about circumcision, the eighth day, why the eighth day is important. People would say that there is no Hittites. They found out there was. There's some evidence about Egypt's bricks, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, For years, I didn't realize this, but for years uh, they didn't believe that uh, David was really actually a king in Israel. And then they found out Uh, Oh, here's something. that says something about David being king in Israel. Now, let me uh, go. I'm I'm over time, but I want you to look at uh, one verse. We could look at two, but we'll look at one because I'm over time. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. And so I've given you some of the, how the Bible being questioned and being attacked. Let's say today that that uh, I have a, a a metal building out behind here, very secure, very tight. And and I'm telling you, I got a Bengal tiger out there. And you say, Oh yeah, sure. So I said, So I so I go over and bang on it and. It, there's something in there growling. Hey, look at there. And then I say, look at, look at here, uh, on the side here, where when we put him in there, he scratched it. Look at there, there's the evidence of it. And, um, and I can uh, talk to you about how big he is and, and try to convince you that, that he's in there. What would be... What would be the most effective way to convince a person that there's a Bengal tiger in a metal building? I just opened up the door. Well, in First in Hebrews chapter four, and verse twelve, it says, "For the word of God is quick. That means it's it's alive. It's like the quick of your finger. It's alive and powerful." And sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, even the dividing of the center of the soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, and the center of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Don't get hung up when talking to your friends and relatives and co-workers. Don't get hung up on, I have to prove the Bible. Just open the door and let it out. And God's word will not return void, Isaiah 55 says. We have great evidences and great uh, material to, to, to show the uniqueness of the Bible that it's from God. But listen, when I open that door of the Bengal tiger, I don't have to say, stay back there, I'll protect you, I'll take care of you. Now I just got to get out of the way. And if we'll give the word of God out, it'll work. It'll work. God promises it'll work. Okay? All right. You're dismissed.